I was looking at the bulletin just now. I realized that the scriptures that we printed um, are good ones. And from, the Bible. from their Bible. And uh, Tom will be using them tomorrow. Uh, I'm not going to read those specifically tonight, but they're good ones that, that go with what we're doing tonight. So please take those and read them this week. Um, and we're, I'm going to give you some others that you can uh, think about and read on as well. Uh, we pick all of this stuff on Tuesday, and that was a long time ago. And so between Tuesday and now, I sometimes have different thoughts. Does that happen to you, Sylvester? All the time. So uh, for those of you for whom what's printed is important, it's okay. You can, still, you can still read those things. I just want to remind you where we are. We're in the middle of a series called The Heartbeat of Discipleship. When we're looking at what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ, a, a disciple, that word in Greek, means a learner or one who follows the teaching of someone else. Specifically for us, we are learners who follow the teachings of Jesus. The United Methodist Church, our mission, I'll remind you, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we get that out of the Gospel of Matthew. We read this last week as well. Jesus came and said to them, to the disciples, this is after the resurrection, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our our mission statement of the United Methodist Church, uh, one that all United Methodist churches seek to follow about making disciples. This commission of making disciples is unique to the church. There are lots of other agencies that work with health care and education and social services that we participate in as well. But if, uh, if the church went away, there are still groups and agencies that would take care of those things. Our unique mission as a church, as the body of Christ, is making disciples. To make disciples, though, is, is, um, is a little bit deceiving. We have two words. We say make disciples, but in the Greek, that's just one word. It is the word for disciple, but it is the active part of that word. Sometimes when we read to make disciples, we think that means we have to force someone to do something, that we have to beat them over the head with, with the Bible or beat them over the head with what we believe in order to make them believe. There is nothing in this that is about forcing people or being coercive or making them do something for us. It's really about us creating the space and inviting them to learn how to be followers of Jesus as we are following Jesus. It's for them to come alongside of us to learn about following Jesus. It's not to make them disciples who follow us. It's to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Here at Bethany, the way that we, uh, over the last number of years, have, dis- have expressed that we are doing that is that we're leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in his image. That's really the heartbeat of discipleship, experiencing God's love, knowing Jesus Christ, and growing in his image. We talked last week about experiencing God's love and that all of Scripture really is God's love story for God's people. God seeks us out. God creates us and seeks us out for relationship, that all of of Scripture is in light of God's love for us. 
The challenge for us, I think, sometimes is that in the Old Testament, we, we see a God of love and of mercy, steadfast love and, and mercy, but God is distant. God is wholly other. God is un- unreachable by us unless there is a mediator for us. In the Old Testament, the, the priests were the ones who stood between the people and God and who could speak for God to the people. There was a, a, a distance and, and a space there that, that couldn't be bridged by us. And all that changed with Jesus. Jesus is God's love with a face on. Jesus is God's love with hands and feet, with a heart, with with flesh and, and bone. In Jesus, we can come to God. In Jesus, we can know God. In Jesus, that that power of the incarnation of God becoming in flesh is that we really can know. Jesus. Not just know about Jesus. Think about the difference in in knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. Think about perhaps knowing about someone that you have yet to meet, but you know a lot about them. But the real relationship begins when you meet them face to face, when there's an actual encounter. Think about even your best friend or your spouse or someone that you work with. You may know a lot about them, and that's good. But the relationship, the connection, is about knowing one another. Knowing about is is about facts and information. Knowing is about relationship and transformation. A lot of people know a lot about Jesus. And a lot of people spend their whole lives knowing a lot about Jesus without really ever knowing Jesus. And yet it's knowing Jesus that makes all the difference for us in being a disciple. Being a disciple is knowing Jesus and following Jesus, not simply knowing about Jesus Being a follower of Jesus is knowing Jesus and not being just an observer on the sidelines of what Jesus is doing. I wonder where you are. I wonder if you would say that that you know a lot about Jesus, but you're not sure that you really know Jesus. Or if you are living in that place of knowing Jesus. Because it makes all the difference in the world. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us today. Let it take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The scripture I'm going to start with today is out of Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 14 to 19, this is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture and in the whole text. Listen, listen for the phrases. Listen for what phrase jumps out at you about what Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter saying this. From whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory... 
He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge beyond what we can know about the love of God, the love of Christ, beyond knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. How does this happen for us to know Jesus? First, it's by the power of God's Spirit. Right? That, that's really the only way that we who are human beings are, are allowed to know Jesus is by the power of God's Spirit at work in us, empowering us to know, but also bearing witness with our own spirit that we belong to God. Another favorite scripture out of Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we indeed are God's beloved, that we belong to God. As Jesus is God's beloved, we are God's beloved. We can know Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness with our spirit that we belong to God. As we uh, also, uh, the, the Spirit empowers us to know that God dwells with us. Jesus dwells with us. That, that image in Ephesians about being rooted and grounded in love, being connected to the source of life. John writes about this so um, beautifully with the image of the vine and the branches and how we are connected to God. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Dwell in my love. Let my love be the source of what you do, of what you say, of how you live. I, I used to, uh, uh, this gets taken out of context a lot, this passage kind of in the middle, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Sometimes we leave the first part off and we say, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you, right? But here's the deal. When, we at, when we're abiding in Christ, when we are connected to Christ, then whatever it is that we are wishing will line up with what Jesus wishes. And the reverse, and really it is that whatever Jesus wishes becomes what we wish. So if, if we're connected to Jesus, then we're not going to ask for something outside of what Jesus already wants. Asking and praying 
in Jesus' name, connected to Jesus, is how we experience God providing for us what we need and what we want. My Father is glorified in this, by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples, become my followers. Abide in Christ, connect to that source of life. To abide in Christ and Christ's love means to know the word of God yourself. Not just to listen to me talk about the word of God, but for you to know the word of God. For you to engage in in spiritual practices, to, to have information and practice, to experience information and transformation. To know who Jesus is, not just to know about Jesus. David Watson writes this, Knowing the basic truths about God that Christians have confessed through the centuries is necessary, but not sufficient. It is crucial, but it is not enough. When we read the Bible, then, we should look not just for information about God, but for the transformation that comes from God. The Bible isn't just a book of statements about God. It is a pathway into God's very life. To be abiding in Christ, abiding in God's love, to be uh, in God's word, to receiving and hearing and knowing God's word is a pathway into God's very life. When we talk about following Jesus, we're going to talk next week some more about some spiritual practices and what does it mean to grow in the image of God. But this is how God speaks to us primarily through Scripture, through God's Word, through God's love uh, that we know in Jesus and, and, and who Jesus is and, and what Jesus did. The Word of God and, and spiritual practices, this, this pathway, surrendering yourself to the pathway that God has, to the pathway that God is. Transformation doesn't just happen. It is a process by which we are made more like Christ. It doesn't just happen. It requires our participation. It is the, the part last week when we talked about experiencing God's love, a little bit about prevenient grace, that God loves us before we even are aware of it or know any kind of response. And that when we experience God's grace in, in a justifying way, when we say yes to Jesus, when we experience God's love and we realize who Jesus is and we, we want to live in that relationship and we say yes to that, then we are made right with God. We, we are put it back in right relationship with God. That justifying grace. And, and from the moment that we say yes, the rest of our lives are, are lived in response to that. Saying yes is, is our yes to participating in being transformed. Saying yes is not the actual transformation. It's yes to being transformed into the image and likeness of, of God. You know, I don't, I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't know about Jesus. I practically was born in the church. I mean, my, my parents had grown up in the church uh, my dad was a, a, a minister of music in the church, and we were at the church every time the doors were open, right? I was steeped in, in church language and what it meant to worship. I was steeped in memorizing scripture, usually as competition against other kids, right? And Bible drills, sword drills and in Sunday school, and um, very active in, in what the church was. I, I don't remember a time when I didn't know about Jesus, but 
I realized in looking back that at that point, the church I grew up in, um, really it was more about a transaction than transformation. For us at that time, salvation, wholeness, as God intends for us, was really about getting into heaven, right? Salvation, saying yes to Jesus, was really so that if someone asked you on the way home, uh, if you died today, do you know where you would be? You could say, yes, I will be in heaven with Jesus. That, that was sort of the goal of all that, that we were doing. And, and the idea of, of being, um, being made new, that, that our sins were washed away and that we were being made new, uh, that really was, was a transactional deal, right? So yes, Jesus, of course I will give you my life, and in return I will get a seat in heaven, right? Yes, Jesus, of course I will surrender myself uh, self to you uh, so, because I, I want to be good. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be one of those backsliders that I keep hearing about, Right? So if I offer you this, Jesus, then you're going to offer me something in return. In hindsight, I, I didn't know at the time. I didn't have language for that. In hindsight, that was a knowing about Jesus. But it was based in fear. It was based in, in doing something wrong on the other side of saying yes. It was not based in, in God's mercy and grace. As I've gotten older, I've realized that I knew a lot about Jesus in terms of a, a transactional deal, but not so much did I know Jesus as transformation. And, and the thing is, that's not what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Christ. It's not about a transaction. At some point, we understand that we have nothing that we can offer to God to receive God's grace. There's nothing that we have or can do or say or, or avoid doing uh, that, uh, that it creates an equal transaction. It just isn't possible. And all we have is the hope of transformation, of knowing Jesus in that way. Salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven. Salvation is a, a life-changing gift. It is being made whole. It is having all the pieces of our, our broken lives put into one, to live with integrity as we abide in Christ. Salvation is surely being saved from the power of sin and death that is at work in our world and in our lives. We're born into the broken world. We're part of humanity. We can't help that. But knowing Jesus saves us from the sin and the death and the brokenness of the world having power over us. It saves us from that, and it saves us for life. Eternal life, sure, but eternal life begins right now. Abundant life is right now. Knowing Jesus isn't something that we sign up for and then and we get to the end of the class when we die. It, it's now. That's what salvation is, and we find it in knowing Jesus I suspect that I began to know Jesus as I began coming to the end of myself. When I began to realize that all of my accomplishments and my achievements and, and my success in life never fully satisfied that longing in me. And no matter how good success and, and achievement felt, it never lasted very long until I had to do something else 
achieve something else, find success in some other way. I suspect I began to know Jesus when the circumstances of of my life that were beyond my control uh, didn't respond to my efforts to fix them or to make them different. Even when I used scripture to try to change those circumstances, right? Because sometimes if, if all we do is know about Jesus, then we know a lot of scripture, but we don't live it in context. We take scripture out of context to try to apply to what we need or want, like that scripture out of, out of John's gospel about asking for what you wish, right? And so for the longest time, the things I asked for that didn't happen, right? I suspect that I began to know Jesus when I realized that it wasn't about getting what I want, when it was about letting go, when, when I sensed and began to understand that, that really the fear underneath what I thought my faith was, was um, greater even than all of the sins I was trying to avoid, that, that the outer behavior, the outer life was really indicative more of a disconnect deep within, that knowing about Jesus and what I should do and shouldn't do didn't matter if if I wasn't connected to Jesus within, if I didn't know Jesus within, when I, when I began to realize that I have nothing to offer in transaction but only can offer myself to the work of transformation, I think that's when I began to really know Jesus <laughs> instead of only knowing about him. To be honest, a transaction would be so much easier, right, and cleaner. Here's this, and I'll take what you give me in return. Transformation? I'm not going to lie to you. You know this. It's hard. And it is messy because it's a process of living into who we are as God's beloved and living from that place. Now, if we didn't have to live in this fallen world, maybe that would be easier. But we still live in the midst of this fallen and broken world, a world that will try to tell us that we are anything but beloved. So the transformation really is the ongoing process of living into that. Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan uh, priest, he uh, has the Center for Contemplative Action, and it's based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He says this, I read this uh, just this week, the price for real transformation is high. It means that we have to change our loyalties from power, success, money, ego, and control to the imitation of the vulnerable God where servanthood, surrender, and simplicity reign. I suspect that this price of transformation, this messy process of transformation, is part of the reason that overall the church seems to be in decline in numbers and in influence in our world, because it is hard for us, especially in the United States, to let go of power and success and money and ego and control. If we're honest, we're really attracted to God's power and might. We're less attracted to Jesus who demonstrates servanthood and denial of self, and letting go 
of power. And yet Jesus is the key to our salvation. It's a high price that we pay for transformation, though I think the price is higher for eternity for us. And so when in the church we're unwilling to let go of power and ego and money and and success, when we think we have to control the inputs and the outcomes, I wonder if we're not just chasing ourselves around, following ourselves around, rather than actually following Jesus anywhere. To follow Jesus is to surrender ourself to the work of God. To let go of ourself. To be a servant to others. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. To love one another as I have loved you. Larry Randolph, an evangelist, says this, the problem with church renewal in the United States is that we want the power of God without the character of God. We want to see signs and wonders. We want our churches to grow and our congregations to thrive. What we don't truly want is to be changed by God, to have the pride and self-will and sin burned out of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. True renewal will come when we seek not only the power of God, but the character of God of God. We can't know the character of God unless we know Jesus. We can't know Jesus by simply knowing about Jesus. To know Jesus is to know servanthood and surrender and simplicity. It is to love as God loves. It is to allow the Spirit to bear witness with ours and to produce that fruit in us, that fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, The peace when otherwise we shouldn't have peace. The patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and self-control. You want to know if somebody knows Jesus? Do they produce that fruit? Is that fruit produced in them? And are they living a life of servanthood and surrender? (laughs) That's how you'll, you'll know if you know Jesus and if others do as well. As a church, we can't make disciples, learners or followers of Jesus, unless we are disciples, unless we're learning and following Jesus. We can't lead people to the transformation of experiencing God's love and knowing Jesus Christ unless we ourselves, and growing in his image, unless we ourselves are experiencing God's love, knowing Jesus Christ, and growing in his image. We can't help others find a healthy heartbeat if we don't have a healthy heartbeat. So I wonder for you, today, do you know more about Jesus? Or do you know Jesus? Because that'll change everything. If you go from knowing about to knowing Jesus, then that changes everything. We usually close in in prayer uh, this time together, and and so I have a prayer that I want to share with you that's written by a man named Jim Finley, who is, uh, he was a monk early on in his life, a Trappist monk. He studied with uh, Thomas Merton, a contemplative way of living, and now is a retired psychotherapist and, and does a lot of work with Richard Rohr. So I invite you to close your eyes and consider if you know Jesus or if you know about Jesus primarily. And let this be our prayer for us as we close today. 
May each of us be so fortunate as to be overtaken by God in the midst of little things. May we each be so blessed as to be finished off by God, swooping down from above or welling up from beneath to extinguish the illusion of separateness that perpetuates our fears. May we, in having our illusory separate self slain by God, be born into a new and true awareness of who we really are, one with God forever. May we continue on in this true awareness, seeing in each and every little thing we see the fullness of God's presence in our lives. May we also be someone in whose presence others are better able to recognize God's presence in their lives so that they too might know the freedom of the children of God. O oh Lord, may it be so that we would abide in you as you abide in us, that we would love as you love, that we would not settle for knowing about Jesus, but run with all we have to knowing Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.